0: Good morning. Let's start out with a question. How many of you believe that the Apostle Peter will be in heaven? Just to make sure I didn't, I do too, but just to make sure I didn't miss anybody, how many of you do not believe the Apostle Peter will be in heaven? Okay, we're unanimous. How many of you believe? That the Apostle Peter will be in heaven because in and of himself he was perfect and flawless and sinless. Not a soul. Me neither. Well, I believe Peter will be in heaven. It will be for the same reason that anybody else is in heaven that is in heaven, and that's because certainly of the grace of God. However, wait till you hear the explanation, I don't believe that it will only be because of the grace of God at all. You see, here's why I say that. There was something else that Peter had in his life that Peter did have total control over. Something else that Peter had in his life that was totally under his control, therefore was totally dependent upon him and his ability to do it, which allowed the grace of God to reach him. That's the key. There was something else that Peter had complete control over, which allowed the grace of God to reach him and to cleanse him. You know what it was? Was his total commitment to Jesus Christ, to the word of God. uh, Peter's total commitment to Jesus Christ and to the word of the living God is what enabled God's grace to reach Peter so that he could be saved. Total commitment. I may have told you this before, and if I haven't, you'll probably hear it again, whether I have or not. It is my favorite illustration of the term total commitment. Probably because it's got talking animals in it. So you know it's a fictitious story, right? It's the story of the pig and the chicken. The pig and the chicken are walking through the farmyard. They know that the farmer's wife has been ill for a long, long time, and they want to cheer the farmer up. And so the chicken says to the pig, I know what will cheer the farmer up. We need to give him a bacon and eggs breakfast. And the pig says, that's easy for you to say. But for me, that requires a total commitment. Total commitment. Have you ever known of someone to just throw up their hands and quit being a Christian? Have you ever known someone to leave the church because they got their feelings hurt, because they got corrected, because they got challenged? Did you ever know somebody to quit being a Christian or to to leave the assembly of the Lord's church because they felt that either a brother or a sister, maybe an elder, maybe the preacher, maybe a deacon, somebody in the church had challenged or stepped on their toes a little bit too hard or maybe one time too many? you ever know someone like that? As I consider that, I want us to just think about, I'm not going to turn there, but I just want us to think about (coughs) the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. You will recall that in that parable, Jesus said some would hear the word and they'd receive it with joy. They would be excited. But he said after a while, when the going got tough and continuing to obey the word would either cause them some discomfort, some inconvenience, or to have to do something other than what they wanted to do, that they'd just rebel. They'd just reject the truth. they just turn and walk away, distancing themselves as far as they could get away from the Lord, the Lord's word, and the Lord's church. You ever known somebody like that? It's similar to what we read about in John 6, if you would turn there. In other words, their commitment would only last as long as it was convenient. Their commitment would only last as long as it was comfortable. But when trouble arose because of the word, they would just distance themselves as far as they could from the Lord, his truth, his church, and everything that went with it. We see something similar in John chapter 6, beginning at verse 59. Jesus has given some teaching here, and it was a little bit difficult for some of them to take. And it says in John 6, verse 59, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And if we were to trace down to verse 66, we would see that from that time, many of his disciples went away and walked with him no more. Notice these were disciples. These weren't just people that hadn't been converted to Christ. These were disciples. Some of them got to the point, said, this is too hard a teaching, and, and it got inconvenient, and it got uncomfortable, and they couldn't quite maybe get their minds around it. And so their commitment to being his disciples came to an end. When the teaching became uncomfortable, their commitment became undetectable. You would also recall in the parable of the sower, in Matthew 13, that Jesus would talk about another group. He said that there would be some there who would initially receive the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches would enter in and cause them to become unfruitful. Mark would tell us in his account, their desire for other things would enter in and they would become unfruitful. And, and we have several examples of this. I'll give you three of them just for those of you taking notes. We could, we could see this if we were to turn and talk about Judas in Matthew 26, 14 through 16. If we were to talk about Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. Or if we were to talk about the prodigal son in Luke 15, and following. In all three of those cases, we would see that the desire for other things caused some to become unfruitful. And so those are two of the categories that Jesus talks about in the parable of the sower. But then there's the good one. There's the one we all want to be. There's the the beautiful one in Matthew chapter 13, verse 23. Jesus mentioned those who'd stick with it no matter what. Those who would produce fruit. Those like the apostle Peter. You just got to love Peter. You you really do. Brother Cowan, Jason, said in his excellent devotional a few weeks back that that sometimes Peter, he thought, got a bad rap. I agree completely. Sometimes (laughs) Peter gets a bad rap. Listen. We're going to talk about this this morning, but if ever there was anybody in the church, any of Jesus' disciples, shall we say, if ever there was anyone who had multiple, powerful, seemingly totally legitimate excuses to just up and turn and walk away from the Lord, from the Lord's word, from it all, if ever there was anybody that seemed to have a legitimate reason after reason after reason after reason after reason to do that, who's Peter? Maybe you've never thought about Peter that way, but I want you to. How many times was Peter publicly corrected and rebuked by his preacher, teacher, friend, and rabbi, Jesus. How many times? How would you like to have been Peter? Every time he turned around in front of the rest of the disciples, he's getting his name called for something he messed up. He's getting embarrassed publicly all the time. Take a look with me at some of these, if you would. We're going to kind of go along to begin with in Matthew. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 28. If ever there was somebody who seemed to have a reason to throw their hands up and run as fast as they could away from Jesus, his church, and his word, and I realized the church had not been established yet, it was Peter. In Matthew chapter 14. We know the story. Jesus tells his disciples to get into this boat. He goes up on a mountain to pray. And the disciples are out there struggling at the oars. It's in the fourth watch of the night, which was between 3 and 6 AM. They toiled all night long. They didn't know if each breath they took was going to be their last. The the wind was against them. The sea was raging. The boat was being tossed. And sometime when they're dead tired and weary out there without Jesus, between 3 and 6 AM, in the fourth watch of the night, here comes Jesus walking on the water. We all know the story. Look with me at verse 28. Verse 27, Jesus has identified himself. Verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter wanted to believe. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. When Peter come down out of the boat, notice he had to come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, stop right there. Do you suppose the other disciples saw this? Oh, yeah. They're in the same boat. They weren't that big then. Can you imagine maybe some of the conversation? There goes Peter showing off again. You know. That Peter sticking his foot in his mouth again. Remember, there was a little jealousy and contention amongst some of the, the disciples at this time. And, but anyway, don't want to add to the text, but here goes Peter. Okay, And he starts walking. And look what happens. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, when he took his eyes off Jesus, and he saw how bad the storm was, he was afraid, and beginning to sing, he cried out, Lord, save me! Probably with a whole bunch of water in his mouth. Lord, save me! You know? And immediately, I love this, immediately, Jesus didn't wait and say, hey, really, dude, come on. Immediately, this is our Lord and Savior, Jesus reached out immediately, this is the beauty of Christ. He stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I want you to stop right there, I want you to think about this. Do you think there was any doubt to any disciple in that boat exactly who Jesus was talking to? He's got Peter, and he says to him, the scripture says, he said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He's got all the other disciples. And Peter is being challenged by the Lord in front of them all. Would that embarrass you? If your preacher stood up here and said, Hey, Jason. (laughs) Sorry, I don't mean because, hey, Steve, anybody, right? You know, what's up with you and your little faith? With, you know, and, and he was serious. And I mean, Jesus said it very lovingly. Oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? It? But just stop and put yourself in Peter's place for a minute. How many people have left the church for less than being embarrassed once? Look in Matthew sixteen, beginning in verse twenty-one. Peter's just made that beautiful confession. Jesus has just told him that he'll have the keys and he'll open up the kingdom. And look what it says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and after many things from the, and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you now. I don't doubt for a single second Peter's motives. I believe Peter in his love for his, his teacher. I believe Peter was trying to say, you know, we will defend you to the death. Surely this can't happen. I believe Peter's intentions were 100% what they ought to be. I mean, we can't read other people's intentions, but, but I believe they were. But even if they were, look at what Jesus says to him. You want to talk about strong? He turned and said to Peter, get behind me Satan. question what would you do if your preacher i'm not going to do it <laughs> no matter if steve or me or somebody else what would you do if your preacher outright called you satan go to the elders and get him fired what would you do this is what ha- i want you to see i want you to understand and put yourself here Jesus turns to him and says to Peter, get behind me. And he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say that. Look what else he says in this passage. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Jesus was telling Peter, look, God's got a bigger plan. You've got to stop looking at this like a man. But even so, what if your Bible class teacher should say to you, hey. You aren't thinking the right way. You're thinking like a man. You need to think more like God. Peter gets dressed down again, corrected hardcore. Look with me in Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led him up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Luke would tell us that he went up there to pray took them with him. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Once again, Peter seems to have the best of intentions. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. I mean, what what, what do you say with Moses and Elijah standing there and Jesus transfigured before you? If you're going to say anything, this is good. I mean, I don't know if i said anything, but you know, Peter. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make. Here, three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Yes, he knew the company he was in, and Peter was willing to go to work. Peter was willing to build a tabernacle for them, to build a a place, a tent, or a a lodge. Something for them to, to have shelter in is the idea here. Peter's got good intentions, but he gets corrected again. This time by God. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Peter. It's not about building tabernacles, Peter. It's not about Moses and Elijah, Peter. I want you to understand this is my son. Listen to him. You're thinking the wrong way again, Peter. They don't need tabernacles. They don't need tents built. What I need for you to do is listen to Jesus. You ain't thinking right, Peter. How many times would it take to be corrected in front of the rest of the group for Peter to run and say, you know what? I'm done here. I can't get anything right. Peter's been corrected again. Was he embarrassed? How would you feel? Would you feel... Embarrassed, ashamed, what? Turn to me to Matthew 18, we'll move it right along here. Matthew chapter 18. He hears Jesus teaching on humility and forgiveness. And look what he says in verse 21. Maybe trying to feel as though he's got it. Maybe he thinks he's got a grasp on things. He's heard about Jesus teaching on forgiveness, and he says in Matthew 18:21, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, if Peter had stopped right there, it would have been a good question. But he says, as the rabbis would teach, this was like really beyond what they needed to. Up to seven times? Lord, is it up to seven times? Maybe Peter felt like he had the answer, but Jesus goes on to correct him again. He said, no, Peter, you ain't getting it. He goes on to explain in verse 22. I did not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times, 7. Peter, your answer is a pittance. It's not even close. Would you be frustrated if you were Peter? Would you be maybe a little embarrassed in front of people? And we're not even scratching the surface yet. Turn to me to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Matter of fact, there's too many of these to go through all of them in one lesson. So I'm just going to mention some later on, but in John chapter 13, that night, verses 1 through 5, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved him to the end. Supper being ended, the devil already having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from the supper laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. If you're sitting in that room that night, and your Lord and Savior gets up from the table, where you're all sitting around there on, on the floor, the low table, and you're all there, and Jesus makes this movement and gets up, and he goes over here to this, this pan of water. He goes over here, and, and he gets down, and he's getting ready to, to what? Would that have your attention? You think you'd be watching him? The Bible doesn't say, but I'm guessing you could have heard a pin drop in that room. And so he walks over, and he, he prepares to wash their feet, and he begins washing their feet. It says, after that, verse 5, he poured water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel which, which he was girded. came to Simon Peter. <laughs> Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but but you'll know after this. And Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Do you suppose the others at the table heard that? I'm guessing every word was imprinted on their psychological hard drive. You shall never wash. Uh Uh-oh. Jesus, Peter going to get into it with Jesus? Everybody's waiting, you know? Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my (laughs) hands and my head. (laughs) Yeah, okay, Peter. The point was he was corrected again in front of the whole congregated group. There's no doubt whatsoever to any man in that room precisely who Jesus is talking to when he looks up at Peter and he says those words. There's no doubt Peter's been put in his place again. He's been corrected again. Talk about embarrassing. Talk about a reason to run. What, would, what, would, what did Peter do? What would you do? What have some in the church done? Then they headed out to the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35. And Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus lets him know this is prophecy out of the word of God. He says, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said, the scripture is wrong. My paraphrase, but that's basically what he said. Let's go ahead and read it. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Do you know how many times Peter used the word never? And every time it happened. <coughs> that never didn't last. <coughs> I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, Peter is emphasizing, I think, the word never, and Jesus coming back with, assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I'm not going to deny you. Turn to me to Luke 22. Luke 22. Peter said in front of all of them, I'll never deny you. He has said, even if they do, I'm not going <laughs> to. Besides that, how do you feel if you're one of those others? Even if they all do, I won't. Luke 22, beginning at verse 54, having arrested him, they led Jesus and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And A certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. After a little while, another saw him and said, you also are one of them. Peter said, man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with him, for he's a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. One of the other accounts will say that he denied Jesus with a curse. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Don't miss verse 61. In the midst of all that Jesus is going through, in the midst of all of these liars and, and this, this kangaroo court, <laughs> That, that was explained so well by Mark here. And everything that's going on, Peter's not real close to Jesus quite probably at this time. He doesn't even want to be associated with him. But somehow in the midst of all of the, all of the anger and all of the, 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 the lying and the false accusations and the punishment that Jesus has taken, somehow in the midst of all of that, the minute that Peter denies him that final time, Jesus looks right at him. Through the crowd. Jesus will try at him. Not like that, but makes eye contact. I mean, I don't believe Jesus was condemning just Peter. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter got corrected again. He broke his heart. What he had done. But this happens over and over and over and over again. Peter, if you'll turn to John 18, verses 10 and 11. Peter's ready to fight a full detachment that has come to arrest Jesus. They've only got two swords among them. And Peter takes one of the swords when they come to arrest Jesus. And it tells us what happens there in in John 18, verses 10 and 11. If you'll just follow along with me, look at this. Verses 10 and 11. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in sheath. Now Peter's not only being corrected in front of the disciples, now he's being corrected in front of the whole crowd of pagans, of hostiles. Here's Jesus that he's trying to stand up for and defend, and right in the middle of this whole thing that's going on, he has to be corrected in front of those who have come to arrest Jesus. Now, he's being embarrassed in front of not just the disciples, but everyone. Peter, put your sword back in the sheath. And if I'm Peter, I've got to be honest at this point, I'm a little hurt. I'm very confused. I'm just trying to help Jesus, but I don't understand the bigger picture. But anyway, he's corrected yet again. Jesus says, shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? I want to just give you the rest of these because there's not time to cover them all before I get to the the absolute rubber meets the road part of this lesson. It's not over even at that point. Remember the morning on the beach in John 21? Jesus, uh, Jesus corrects Peter again more than once. You Remember the whole exchange? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Remember that three times. And Peter and Jesus use different words. Peter won't quite come up to the word for love that that Jesus used. Then they get out there. They're walking down the beach there. What does Peter say? Lord, what about him? Talking about John. And you remember what Jesus said to him then? If I want him to remain alive again, what's that to you? Peter gets corrected again. You follow me. Jesus said, it's not about what I do with my other disciples. Peter, 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 Peter. If I want him to remain alive until I come again, what is that to you? Peter, mind your own business, in effect. You follow me. You've got enough on your plate to follow me without worrying about him. In Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16, Peter doesn't you know, the, the sheet comes down, and he said, I've never eaten anything unclean. He's not getting it, and he has to be corrected again. God has to let him know that all things that, that God has cleansed are clean so that he'd go to the house of Cornelius. Peter gets corrected again. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Peter's in the church there. Paul shows up. Peter's drawn back to eat with the Gentiles. Paul rebukes him to his face in the midst of the assembly, right in the middle of him. Now it's not Jesus correcting him, it's Paul correcting him. And I have no doubt in my mind as I read Galatians 2, 11 through 14 when Paul corrected Peter. I mean, how would you like it? Think about this. Let me ask you a question. If I said something right here from the pulpit today, and Steve were to stand up and publicly <laughs> correct me because I had it wrong. One preacher to another, in the midst of the assembly. would You think that would have your attention? You think you wouldn't be paying any attention to that at all? We'd have the eyes of every person in this room, would we not? Paul corrected Peter to his face in the midst of them. However, your version is worded. This was not a private thing. As I said earlier, if ever there was anyone who had a number of valid reasons seemingly to just up and turn and walk or run away from the Lord and his truth and his people when it came to being hurt, when it came to being challenged, when it came to being chastised, when it came to being corrected, when it came to being rebuked publicly, it was Peter. We can probably all think of people who have left the church over a lot less. and so. The question we need to ask, so that that never happens again, the question that we need to know the answer to is this: With all those reasons, all that public embarrassment, why didn't Peter leave? Why didn't Peter leave? That's the question. Because if we can answer that question, maybe we can stop others from fleeing the church as well when those hard times hit, when they don't understand a teaching, when it gets uncomfortable, when when something like that happens, when they are when they are embarrassed or whatever. Maybe we can stop some of that from happening. The, the, the question we need to answer is, why didn't Peter go? What made him stay? I mean, look at Peter. You couldn't correct him enough to cause him to quit. You couldn't confront him enough to convince him to leave. And you could not challenge him enough to chase him away. You could not tempt him enough, correct him enough, rebuke him enough, challenge him enough, embarrass him enough, threaten him enough at all, to in any way push or pull or drag or chase him away from the Lord Jesus Christ, away from the word of God's truth, and away from the group of disciples. You just couldn't do it. So why? Why? Why, when Peter was confronted with the truth, did he not run? Why instead did he repent and return stronger for it? When Peter was rebuked or corrected, he accepted and learned and became a better Christian. See, Peter understood something. Peter understood that every challenge, every correction, every redirection was nothing less than another essential step in his journey up the straight and narrow to home. The reason Peter stayed was because Peter was 100% committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you couldn't chase him away, drag him away, run him off, push him out. Peter was 100% committed, that is our word, to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was committed to the words of eternal life, which Jesus Christ alone has. He was 100% committed to going to heaven. It did not make any difference how the other disciples thought of him. It did not make any difference what they said to him. It did not make any difference how many times they had to correct him. None of that mattered. Peter was 100% committed to the Lord Jesus Christ to the word of God, and to going to heaven. Peter was first and foremost a 100% committed soldier in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. You couldn't run that guy off if you wanted to. You could give him your worst, and you could not chase him away from the church because he was committed to Christ. I want to read you an article I've had for years. I don't know who wrote it originally, but listen to this and take it with you. This is the rubber meets the road. Peter would have understood this completely because Peter was a soldier, a committed soldier, in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. The article is entitled, I am a soldier. I am a soldier. I am a soldier in the army of my God. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Bible is my code of conduct. Faith, prayer, and the word are the weapons of my warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I am a volunteer in this army, and I enlisted for eternity. I will either retire from this army at the Lord's return or else I will die in this army. But I will not get out, sell out, be talked out, or pushed out. I am faithful, reliable, and dependable. If my God needs me, I am there. If he needs me in Sunday school to teach the children, work with the youth, help with the adults, or just sit and learn, he can use me because I am there. If he needs me in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, at lectureships, revivals, gospel meetings, I'm there. I am there to preach, teach, sing, pray, work, and worship. God can use me because I am there. I am a soldier. I am not a baby. I do not need to be petted, pampered, primed up, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up. I am a soldier. How many of you were in the military? Raise your hands. Hi, please. Thank you, and you understand this. Next paragraph. I am a soldier. No one has to call me, remind me, write me, visit me entice me, or lure me in. I am a soldier. I am not a wimp. I am in place, saluting my king, obeying his orders, praising his name, and serving in his kingdom. Peter would have understood this. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, food, cards, candy, or give me handouts or special attention. I do not need to be cuddled, coddled, or cradled neither cared for nor catered to, because I am a soldier and I am committed to Jesus Christ, period. His final two paragraphs, listen closely, church. I cannot have my feelings hurt badly enough to turn me around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. When Jesus called me into this army, I had nothing. And if I end up with nothing, I still break even. I am a soldier. I am 100% committed. I will win. My God will supply all my needs as he has promised. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus and therefore will always triumph as he has promised. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he promised. Devils cannot defeat me. People cannot disillusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me, and hell cannot handle me, because I am a soldier. I am committed. Even death cannot destroy me. I will simply be called home. I am a soldier in the army, and I am marching, claiming victory. I will not give up. I will not turn around. I am a soldier headed for heaven. Will you go with me? Peter would have understood that. Peter understood what so many today, <coughs> sadly, refuse to understand, and in so doing, some of them surrender their souls to Satan, and that's, that, that's this. Peter understood it wasn't about him and his feelings. It wasn't about him and his feelings. Do you, if you'd have been Peter, would some of those things have hurt your feelings? Would they? Would it hurt your feelings to be publicly embarrassed in front of the whole group this morning? If I called you out and publicly embarrassed you this morning in front of the whole crowd, would that hurt your feelings? Of course it would. It would hurt mine if you did it to me. I'm human too, so was Peter, by the way. But Peter realized it wasn't about him and his feelings, it was about Jesus Christ. It was about Jesus Christ and his eternal truth, even when it hurt. It was about the words of eternal life that Jesus had, even when they were inconvenient, even when they were uncomfortable, even when carrying them out would cause me to be hated for it. It was about the word. It wasn't about my feelings. And Peter wasn't going to give up all that heaven had to offer for something momentary on Earth. He was not going to surrender something as priceless as his soul over a few hard teachings a few hurt feelings, or even his historic failings. Let me close with these words. Remember John 6, where we started, where some of the disciples walked away? Remember that text? Tell you how that concludes. It said, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? Jesus said, if you want to go, basically there's the door. Peter, it's that easy. You can walk if you want to. Yes, I'm adding to the text. I understand, but I'm trying to get this fleshed out and get you to understand and see it in your own mind. He looked at them. He said, you want to go away also? But Simon Peter, notice it was Peter. Peter gets a bad rap. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? you have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Brethren, if we really believe all of that, it's not going to matter what anybody else says or does to us. We're going to stay committed to Jesus Christ the Lord, to his mission, to his people, and to his word because he is the only one with the words of eternal life. Let us all determine right now, if we haven't already, to be completely committed. We're not the chicken. I mean, no disrespect when I say this, but in that story, we're not the chicken, and I'll leave it at that. Jesus Christ made a total commitment, didn't he? He didn't just leave the throne of heaven. He didn't just leave the glories of heaven. He didn't just come and be crucified. That wouldn't have been a total commitment. Part of his total commitment was that for the first, last, and only time in all of time in history, he was separated from his father because he took our sins. That's total commitment. And Jesus had a lot more to commit to us than we have to commit to him. Let us thank God this morning for people like the Apostle Peter, and if you know somebody, and I'm sure you do because I do, if you know somebody in your life who in this congregation right here this morning, you look at them and you say, let me tell you something, that person is a committed soldier. Thank God for that person that sets the example like Peter. Thank God for them. Let them know how much you appreciate the fact of their example, that no matter all they've been through they're still faithful. Go tell them, why don't we do that more often? And if you've never joined that army by repenting and being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that's where we enroll. Then we spend the rest of our life taking orders from our commanding officer, Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, we'd love to baptize you this morning. If you're somebody who has done that, but you realize that, you know, I'm not as strong as I need to be, and I haven't been following his orders quite like I need to be, and I want to be more committed, we'd love to pray for you. Let's get started. Let's not say, well, we'll just wait. You know, King Agrippa was going to wait. We don't see King Agrippa ever get converted. Let's not wait to be 100% committed. We can be somebody who's been baptized and be a Christian, but maybe we know our own commitment. If, it, if it's 95%, that's really good. But it ain't 100%. let us commit to him who committed to us everything he had. And he had so much more. If you have a need this morning, please come to the front as we stand and sing.